to be joined by the Reverend Suzanne Willie this afternoon. Suzanne is a dear, dear friend and a classmate from Berkeley Divinity School at Yale. Suzanne, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your current context for ministry. Sure. Hi, Beth. Super glad to be here. I'm Mother Suzanne Willie. I'm the rector at All Saints Episcopal Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is um, an Anglo-Catholic church which for those of you who don't know what that means, that's a very, that means that we like uh, lots of incense and chanting and we fall more on the Catholic end of the Episcopal spectrum. Um, it's an urban church, very, uh, fairly progressive in its outlook, a long history of um, including those who were um, kept on the margins throughout history. So a history of being racially integrated since the 1950s, during white flight, a history of including people experiencing homelessness by letting them sleep in our pews overnight in the 80s, um, and of being the only church in town that would bury folks who had died of AIDS um, in the 90s. So we have a pretty interesting history, and I'm really proud to be rector there. I've been there for a little over eight years now. Thank you so much, Suzanne. I love hearing stories about the ministry of your church and what you all are still doing. Um, that is uh you know, what we hope would not be revolutionary and remarkable, but it seems it still is even today. So I'm really grateful to always be uh, hearing about the ministry at All Saints and your leadership among them. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Um, I am just going to dive right in and talking about forgiveness. Um, and I would love to hear your personal reflections, your ministry reflections, just things you have encountered along the way, um, any stories you want to share with us. My hope is that by hearing from others, um, our listeners will be able to think more deeply, reflect more deeply on their own need to forgive and to be forgiven. Uh, so anything you share will be most appreciated this afternoon. Wow. Well, this is a great conversation for any time, maybe particularly at Lent and maybe particularly at this time in our history, in our country where um, forgiveness seems to be coming hard um, to folks and even the desire for reconciliation and forgiveness seems to be slow in coming. So, um, 
as I said to you, Beth, you know, I've been fortunate. I have not been um, <clears throat> a, a, someone who has needed to have huge forgiveness in my life. Although, like everyone, certainly I've struggled with um, family relationships that have been hard. Um, you know, I know a lot of people hang on to things from their childhood and how do we process those um, family events and and move into a new space as adults. And I was thinking about this and you want you want personal stories, right? Or, yeah, that'd be great if you have one, yeah. Or stories. <clears throat> so I was thinking about this. I'd say, I have to say that probably the biggest um, uh, aspect of forgiveness that I've had to live into in my life, or the biggest way I've had to live into forgiveness, was um, I was raised in a family uh, uh, where there was alcoholism, and I was raised by a mother who really struggled with alcohol, and um, she was a very loving mother, um, but that was that came between us, and it caused a lot of problems. And um, as a someone in my twenties. I was pretty distant from her for a long time. And then uh, as I got older, my mother uh, was diagnosed with cancer and she lived with that for about three years um, on and off with different treatments. And as, she, as it became clear that she was not going to win that struggle, I had to spend some real time figuring out what to do with that. Um, and, you know, was I going to allow my angers at having an imperfect mother, mm -hmm. um, like we all have, um, and like all mothers are imperfect, um, was I going to allow that to keep me from reconciling with her um, before she died? And I ultimately decided that was not what I wanted. But I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how one went about forgiveness because it didn't feel like um, what was needed was for me to go to my mother and say, I forgive you. Right, right. <laughs> she wasn't asking for that. Right. Um, but what I did instead was I spent a lot of time in prayer. And um, that sounds super corny coming from a priest, right? <laughs> no, or not corny. It sounds really holy. And I'd love for you to think that I'm that holy, but that is just not true. <laughs> what I did was literally while I was driving, as I would say to God, God, I have no idea how to do this. And the only way this can happen is if you do it. Wow. And that was my prayer. Um, and when I went to her bedside, really in the last days, um, all was gone. All was, all the anger, all the pain was gone. And I was able to just be with her and to be o open and available emotionally with her in a way that I hadn't been for a long time. And so that's the gift of grace. I mean, that's wow. a total gift of grace. And that doesn't mean there wasn't like processing to do after her death. And do you know that there was still more to do, but, but that there was um, just opening myself up to God doing that work in my heart. Well, I, yeah, I want to pick up on a couple of things that I think I just heard you say, which feel really important. Um, and the first is that there was some time and space between, you know, your proximity with her and, and maybe not being in the household and becoming the person that you have become and were becoming. Um, it was not something that happened overnight, I think is a part of what I hear you saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, definitely not overnight. <laughs> years. Um, years. <laughs> and then I, I really, I, I'm really, um, it's really helpful to hear you reflect on the fact that 
you know, it was not just something you decided to do, right? Like Suzanne woke up on a Tuesday and said, I'm going to forgive my mother. And then you went to her and asked, for, you know, and asked for her that sort of thing. And then it was, and then it was done. I I'm really intrigued by this invocation of grace mm-hmm. and, and the use of prayer for, God to actually be the one who does the forgiving so that you were changed in the process. Did I, did I get that right? Is that? that Absolutely. Yeah. What, what had become clear to me was that, um, I mean, a lot of things. So yes, a lot of time had passed and I had done therapy, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I'm believing God's (laughs) grace and a good therapist can get you a long way. (laughs) Um, you know, and some of that was getting older and becoming an adult, and but what I what I had really realized was um, that I needed my heart to be softened. Yeah. You know what had been done had been done, and that um, you know and, and my mother had done the best that she really could. And so how did I want? How long did was I going to hold on to that? Um, at what point could I acknowledge that you know I was doing harm? I was doing harm to myself and to our relationship, you know, until my heart was softened, how could I be, how could I be open and available emotionally? Um, so, so yeah, I needed to be changed. You know, it's that CS Lewis thing about prayer, you know, it's like, um, I'm praying so that, so that I'm changed, not to change God's mind, but so that I get changed. (laughs) That's what was needed in that case. (laughs) Always a helpful reminder. (laughs) Well, and I believe if you, if we believe in God's grace, which I do, you know, who, who needs grace any more than I do? I mean, if I believe that I'm forgiven and free, then I have to ask for the grace to, to be, to treat others as forgiven and free as well. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. It's a really powerful story. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm wondering I'm wondering if you, if you might have a story either, either from ministry or from life about a time when the inability to forgive, uh, left a lasting impact when, when you saw, um, damage that was created. Ugh. yeah. Well, I, I, I probably have a lot of those stories, which makes me sad. Um, I've seen people, I think what I've been struck by um in in that not being willing to forgive is how it often plays out very similarly the language i often hear get used by people uh is this um you know i can try to forgive that person but i can't forget it right which always tells me that the person's actually not ready to forgive um Now, I'm not suggesting that we ought to forget, but I just think we use that as a trope, you know, like, which says to me, well, so you want to hold on to this thing, right? You want to hold on to it. So what I see um, in parish ministry and in life when people can't forgive is that they get shut down, not just to the person that they can't forgive, but I think they get shut down emotionally Mm -hmm. to everyone. So if you can't forgive your parent for something, then I think it's going to be really hard to forgive your spouse for something. Mm. It's going to be hard to be open enough, open hearted enough um, to have a real 
vulnerable relationship. Mm-hmm. Because part of the part of life, and I'm not giving you a specific story right here, but yeah. you know, I've seen things. So like, so pr- probably the reason I paused so long when you asked me that question is the worst cases of unforgiveness that I've seen have been when someone has not forgiven someone before they died. Yeah, and then at a at a funeral, watching a family member just be destroyed. Yeah, while they're mourning because they have so much regret. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's not only regret, maybe it's also anger that this thing never got resolved, or maybe it's, you know, I, I never had that conversation. Um, you know, I don't presume to be a therapist or a psychologist, but I just, when I've presided at funerals where I know that there's a hard relationship that never got kind of forgiveness, uh, around it or softness around it. Um, because I don't presume, I mean, some things are terrible. I don't know. Some things are, you know, you can't forgive everything, but if you haven't kind of been able to get to a place of making peace, um, it doesn't mean that what that person did was okay or any of that. But so I would say funerals are the place where I really see, um, the damage, uh, that gets done by not being able to forgive. Um, so how, how do you, Suzanne, how do you sit with someone? Um, cause I think that's one of the things I hear most frequently too. And, and part of my interest in having these conversations is, um, I really very frequently get the question, you know, I intellectually understand forgiveness. I get it as a concept that Jesus taught us, <laughs> you know, yeah. on the macro level, but how do I do it? you know, how do I, how do I live into it when I'm not going to forget? Right. I mean, what is, is there a prayer or a piece of scripture or a story or how, what, what do you offer as kind of the next thing? Yeah. Someone to spiritually marinate. In, <laughs> um, if, if they come to you with that question or with that issue. Well, so I think there's a big difference between what I do pastorally in my office versus what I preach. Um, cause one is in the moment with a person and one is the sort of theology, right. Um, that, that I'm preaching, but before I talk about those two things, I want to back up just a little bit around when you ask the, are there stories about forgiveness? I think one of the things I, I always want people to to realize it's like, we don't get out of this life without being hurt. It's like part of the deal, right? So if you can accept that, and I think that's hard, just like accepting death is hard, accepting that we'll all be ill at some point, we'll all be disabled in some way in our lives. You know, until you can accept those realities, the limitations of life, um, it's hard to forgive. You know, I mean, I think that you have to just say like, oh yeah, part of the deal is I get hurt. And so what am I going to do with that? What am I going to do? And that's sort of what I think I would talk to people about. I mean, first, of course, I listen. I listen to what the hurt is, you know, in the office. Um, And then it's like, okay, so now, now what? Now what? Right? What if that person never changes? Do you want to have a relationship with them or not? You know, and then what will the effect be if you say no? Um, I mean, you know, these are the kinds of, you know, I sort of try to tease that out, but, but, you know, I'm a priest who really believes in in, that the cross matters and the fact that we are, when I say I'm forgiven and free, it's because Jesus Christ was crucified. 
Right. Now, there are a million ways to understand that, as you and I both know. Sure. But forgiveness is part of it. Um, whether that's sin with a capital S or my personal sins. Um, and so if I believe that at the center of my faith is the cross, then I got to try to live into that. And I'm not saying it's easy and it might take years, but I've got to at least try to keep turning in that direction. Um, and a story I've used in preaching and sometimes with people, and I'll try to do this quickly. So if you need to edit it, go right ahead. No, it's great. But there's a there's a um, really stunning story um, from a woman I worked with years ago, and I taught at a Catholic school in Chicago. Her sister and husband were murdered in their homes by a young man. You know who I can't remember what you know he broke in. He needed some money. I I think maybe even knew the family. You know he was desperate for whatever reason. She was pregnant. You know this is a devastating devastating kind of murder. But the woman I worked with and her sister, I mean, they were all raised Catholic. They really were, they were um, pacifists. I mean, they were, they took their faith very seriously. And um, they campaigned against the death penalty for the murderer. Um, and this was very public in the Chicago land area. And then years later, my colleague's sister ended up writing a book about it. And um, in it, she tells the story about how she was going, giving all these speeches against the death penalty and so on and so forth. But then she kind of confessed to a friend that she had never talked to this man, to the murderer. I mean, she was kind of speaking on his behalf, but she had never gone to talk to him. And the friend said, well, how, why, you know, how does that make sense? Right. right. Um, uh, and she said, you know, I just, I can't, I can't, you know, he's never written to me. He's never apologized. He's never, you know, why should I sort of, why, even though I don't want him to die because that's part of my faith, why should I have a relationship with him? And, you know, until he apologizes to me, how can I forgive him? And her friend said, um, maybe you have to go first. Mm. Maybe you have to go first. And so she did. She wrote to him. Wow. And she extended this offer of friendship. Mm. And they got to know each other and have a relationship. I mean, it's, wow. and for me, that's a metaphor of forgiveness in the cross, which is like, we're not good enough or smart enough to ask for forgiveness of God, right? So right. God's like, all right, I guess I'll go first. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I love, I love that example. And I love as you're talking about, you know, what you've witnessed at funerals, um, the, the word perspective comes to mind for me. I feel like what, what you're able, what you're pointing towards is offering this larger perspective where it's so easy when we are hurt, when we feel wronged, when we feel we have lost something or someone to be stuck on the event or the person or the act itself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what your point, what you seem to be pointing towards is what, what new perspective we're able to gain at the cross, right? Mm -hmm. how, how that changes, um, how that changes everything. Mm -hmm. Does change everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in a couple ways, I mean, I think too, cause I put the cross right together with um, the prodigal, 
son, but really I think of that. It's always the prodigal father. Prodigal father. (laughs) Prodigal father. Yeah. You know, and that's like, that is the, I mean, there's obviously you can read scripture and get a lot of different messages from it, but you know, the main one is this insane grace. Like it does not make sense. It does not make sense. The prodigal father doesn't make sense. And the older son is mad about it. Right. (laughs) I can get there real easy. (laughs) Me too. Me too. The younger son doesn't even think he deserves forgiveness. Right. He comes home and says, I'll be your servant. Right. And the father is so happy. And I just think if we can participate, I'm going to tear up. If we can participate in that grace and even just a, just a smidgen of it, I mean, that's, we are, that's living in the kingdom of God. Right. And that, I mean, and I'm not saying you can rush towards it. We're not going to be the, most of us won't be the prodigal father who rushes out immediately. But, um, but if we if we truly believe that we are recipients of that kind of lavish, loving grace, then don't we want to participate in that too? Um, As hard as it is, do we think that has a cost for God? That's the other thing. You know, I think sometimes we think, well, that's easy for God. Is it? Was it? (laughs) That's a really good question. (laughs) I mean, we'll need another podcast for that question, but that. (laughs) That's your grace podcast for Easter. Yeah. Well, yes. (laughs) My first guest. Um, No, that's beautiful, Suzanne. That's really beautiful. Thank, and thank you for that story too, about that woman. And I mean, that's, it's hard to imagine. It's really hard to imagine. Um, well, I've got one more for you and, and, um, you and I became familiar with this Coventry, um, litany of reconciliation, um, Mm -hmm. when we were in seminary together and we're spending a great deal of time with it at St. Michael's this Lent. Uh, and I'd just be curious to hear if there's a line or a phrase that's either, particularly challenging or personally convicting for you, something that you're, you're drawn to, um, or any, any story or connection you want to share about that particular litany? Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, I love that litany. Um, and I love the story behind it. Yeah. And I've used the example of the, um, cathedral, you know, being allowed to stay partially in ruin. Um, and then partially rebuilt with those uh, glass windows. Yeah. yeah. And the cross of nails there. So it's like, it's that good reminder. And it, this is such a, this is such a subtle thing, right? Cause I just said, don't say, you know, I can forgive, but I won't forget. And yet Coventry shows us like, you know, the, the dam, this damage was done. Damage was done. Yeah. But new things can come out of ruin. Right. Something beautiful can come out of ruin. Right. Um, or maybe even being able to, if we see that ruin, we'll be, we'll be called to not ever do this kind of harm or to, you know, so there's something yeah. to be said. Yeah. Well said. Well said. For that. Um, boy, I would say I'm looking at the litany right now. Um, there's so much here, right? Boy. I, I think the one that would probably speak to me the most is our envy of the welfare and happiness of others. Mm. You know, it's very easy for me to say, well, of course, I'm not going to be indifferent to the imprisoned or the homeless or the refugee or, you know, um, 
those people who uh, lay waste to the earth. I mean, you know, that's clearly wrong. But um, gosh, do I, I need to be forgiven for, for being envious mm-hmm. that someone else is doing well. Um, and that I should ask for forgiveness for that, right? Instead of, because I should be celebrating that someone is doing well, right? Um, so, I mean, that's one. I could keep, I don't know, Beth, I could keep going. <laughs> no, I mean, it's part of what I love about it is it's, it feels so accessible to me. And depending on the hour of the day and day of the week, when I look at it, there's a different line that jumps out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I, I just appreciate you sharing what stands out to you today. Yeah, today. I wonder what I'm envying right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yes, but um, I do love the tender-hearted line too. Isn't that beautiful? The oh, end. It's beautiful. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Absolutely. Um, any closing thoughts, Suzanne? Oh boy, this is such a big topic, and I know you know it's it's endless. It's endless because, um, like all the great questions in life, each one of us really has to wrestle with it. You know, anyone listening today is going to hear me and there are going to be some people who hear us talking Beth and think, well, they just made that sound way too easy. <laughs> and they're right. And they're right. Cause we each need to wrestle with it on our own and then prayer with God. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Suzanne. Thank you for, thank you for your um, thoughtfulness and for your ministry. Uh, I am so grateful to have you as a friend and a colleague, and I'm grateful that everyone gets to hear from you on this podcast. So thank um, you, Beth. This was a blast. (laughs) uh, God bless and have a very holy Lent. Thank you. You too. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The hatred which divides nation from nation, race from race, class from class. Father, forgive. The covetous desires of people and nations to possess what is not their own. Father, forgive. The greed which exploits the work of human hands and lays waste the earth. Father, forgive. Our envy of the welfare and happiness of others. Father, forgive. Our indifference to the plight of the imprisoned, the homeless, the refugee. Father, forgive. The lust which dishonors the bodies of men, women, and children. Father, forgive. The pride which leads us to trust in ourselves and not in God. Father, forgive. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you.